This is Digital Health Today, episode 20. Welcome to Digital Health Today, the podcast focused on the leaders, innovators, and technologies transforming healthcare today and tomorrow. Find us online at digitalhealthtoday.com. This episode is brought to you in part by Health TechX Global. Join key stakeholders from around the world at this year's Health TechX Europe event taking place in London on the 20th of June, 2017. It's a packed day of insights from thought leaders working at the cutting edge of health tech and digital health. Health Tech X Europe will explore the current trends and challenges facing global healthcare. See the latest innovations being used to create high impact solutions and better outcomes for patients, practitioners, pharma, and payers. Join us on the 20th of June, 2017. Tickets are available now at healthtechxeurope.com. That's healthtech, the letter X, europe.com. This episode is also brought to you in part by the World Precision Medicine Congress. If you're interested in the future of medicine, health technology, and next generation medicines, check out the Precision Medicine Congress being held in London on the 17th to the 19th of May. At this three-day event, there will be leaders and innovators sharing information about precision medicine, wearables, artificial intelligence, bioelectric medicine, big data, and even organ regeneration. You can get 10% off if you register with the code DIGIHEALTH, that's D-I-G-I, HEALTH. Check it out. It's the World Precision Medicine Congress in London. Google it or find it on our events page at digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash events. Welcome back to Digital Health Today. I'm your host, Dan Kendall. Thanks for tuning in. I'm glad you're here, and I'm guessing that you're pretty pumped to hear from today's guest, so I'll keep my comments as brief as possible. If you haven't done it yet, please do take a minute to visit our website and join the digital health community. You can find the links on our website, digitalhealthtoday.com. It's free to do, so if you're a healthcare provider, an entrepreneur, a corporate executive, an investor, a patient, or anyone with an interest in accelerating innovation in the health space, then I invite you to be a part of our growing global community. One last thing, and then we'll get on to the interview, I promise. If you're an iPhone user or even just have an iTunes account, please take a minute to give the show a review on iTunes. We're getting great feedback from people all over the world, and Apple needs to know that this show is making an impact. All you need to do is open your podcast app. You probably have that open right now. Hit the search button on the lower right corner and search for Digital Health Today. Tap the cover art under the podcast heading and then click review. A five-star rating is greatly appreciated and any comments of what you like about the show. You can also email me your feedback at dan at digitalhealthtoday.com or ping me on Twitter at healthtechdan. But I have to tell you, the positive ratings and reviews on iTunes really help. Okay, now on to the show. I am really pleased to bring you our guest today. I had to edit this introduction about five times to try to get it condensed enough to go on air. There is so much that he's done. He is just on fire. My guest today is none other than Dr. Daniel Kraft, a physician scientist, inventor, entrepreneur, and innovator. He has over 25 years experience working across healthcare innovation, biomedical research, and clinical practice. He's the chair for medicine at Singularity University and the founder and chair of Exponential Medicine, and we dive into his work at these organizations in depth on this podcast. He's earned an undergraduate degree from Brown University, finished medical school at Stanford, and was board certified in both internal medicine and pediatrics after he completed a Harvard residency at the Massachusetts General Hospital and Boston's Children's Hospital. Oh, and he also completed fellowships in hematology, oncology, and bone marrow transplantation at Stanford. Now, you might think with all that, I've completed the introduction. But you'd be wrong. Daniel is also an avid pilot, and he served in the Massachusetts and California Air National Guard as an officer and flight surgeon with F-15 and F-16 fighter squadrons. He has conducted research on aerospace medicine that was published with NASA, and he was a finalist at NASA for astronaut selection. 
Oh, and he has two young children under the age of three. Did I mention that? And he's 28 years old. Okay, that last part I made up, but everything else is absolutely true. This is one person that has done all these different things. The man is on the move, and I hope you get a chance to meet him in person. He brings an incredible energy when he gets on the stage, and he must have a lot of energy in order to keep up his schedule. In the past few weeks, I saw Daniel present at the Digital Health Summit in Vegas, and just last week, he presented at the Wired Health Conference in London. You definitely should go onto the show notes at digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 20 and check out all the videos and links that I've put on there. All right, so what are we going to talk about today? When you do hear his talks, one thing you won't hear much about is the background that has driven him to combine all these interests, to connect with people and organizations, to create organizations, and to do the sort of work that he's doing every day. So I wanted to bring some of that insight to you here on this interview, to give you a little insight about how his passions, his talent, and his hard work has combined over the years to open up the exponential thinking that really is a hallmark of his work. Now that's enough from me. Check out all the show notes and links at digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 20. Now let's tune into the interview with Dr. Daniel Kraft. Dr. Kraft, thanks for joining me and welcome to the program. Great to be here. Thanks. I just gave the listeners some insight into your background and some of the work that you've done from medical school to astronaut training. Could you give us a little insight into how your path and opportunities have combined to create this really unique and varied body of work? Great question. I'm sometimes wondering myself. Uh, you know, as a particularly as a medical student at Stanford, uh, with all the things happening around here, from technology to being involved in everything from space exploration to to early digital health, I always found it a challenge when you have to decide what's one specialty you're gonna you know field you're gonna go into after medical school because I I liked everything, um, particularly the the mix of fields, and so uh, I ended up doing a combined residency in internal medicine and pediatrics, and then some specializing in hematology, oncology, bone marrow transplants, stem cell biology. But uh, I always was attracted to multiple fields. And later in my career, you know, I was on faculty at Stanford. I did my fellowships. Um, I had uh, got pulled into this first summer of uh, this program at Singularity University as a, as a favor to my friend, Dr. Peter Diamandis, a physician who founded the XPRIZE and also co-founded Singularity University, which is really a bit of my sweet spot. What is the convergence of technologies? How do we leverage those, not just in healthcare, but to environment, education, et cetera? So part of my journey has always been not being... Uh, keeping my feelers out and, and interests in other areas open, whether it's aviation, flying, and space, which I have a sort of a sidetrack passion and, and history in, uh, to to digital health, to computers, to to gadgets, and and realizing that you know whether it's in medicine or any other field, a lot of the advancements in exciting areas are when things kind of bump up each other, bump up against each other uh, in interesting uh, ways. So. Part of my path has, has been one where I've gone through the traditional academic, you know, Stanford, Harvard, residency, fellowship, uh, you know, faculty, but, but also have kept my hands and feet in crossing with other folks and attending other sorts of meetings, whether it's the TED conference, which stands for technology, entertainment, and design, where you mix it up with everyone from Hollywood stars to, to designers to, uh, you know, uh, astrophysicists, um, and being in the milieu of the, of the Bay Area, uh, crossing paths with folks from many different walks of life. You mentioned that you were pulled into the very first summer program at Singularity University. Now, many of us will know the name Singularity University, but we might not be familiar with what it's really all about. Can you tell us about the mission and the work there? And since you were there at the very beginning, can you tell us a little bit about the background of how it came to be and how you came to be involved? 
Sure. Well, it goes back, you know, even as a medical student, I, I was involved in uh, things outside of traditional healthcare. I was taking a class my first year of medical school in space systems engineering, designing missions to Mars with the Soviets at the time at Stanford, and uh, had a long-term interest in space and flying, and went to something called International Space University, which Peter Diamandis also co-founded, which the idea was that, you know, the future of space is bringing folks together for medicine, astrophysics, and policy, etc. Um, and so now, fast forward, you know, 15, 20 years later, Peter uh, had read the book, The Singularity is Near, by Ray Kurzweil, a pretty famous futurist inventor, uh, now a director of engineering at Google, with that sort of exponential mindset. And the singularity is often a challenging term, but roughly around the idea of what happens when technology, particularly in, in computation, gets so powerful that you can fit you know, all the computers in the world today essentially on your laptop, as, as one example. Um, and the, you know the, the the thing that Peter and, and Ray and others recognize that is to help create the future, you can't be sort of just in your narrow little silo. You might be a PhD and know everything about one neuron and one uh, section of the brain uh, or in either field of robotics or IT. But part of catalyzing the future is not only standing where technology is today, but where it's likely to be in two, five, ten years, particularly when it's riding these exponential trends. So most of your listeners will be familiar with the power of computing getting faster and cheaper. It's often summarized in Moore's Law, which is why the, you know, the smartphone I'm talking to you through on Skype right now has about a billion times the, 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 the price performance than a supercomputer in the early 1970s. Uh, and you, know, you can imagine this is the iPhone 7. What will the iPhone 10 or 12 look like in terms of its power and computation? So that's a bit of that exponential thinking, which is a bit at the heart of Singularity University. And that's happening across many fields in, in, in artificial intelligence and 3D printing and, and robotics and drones. Um, and in healthcare in particular, you know, healthcare is not an exponential field, doesn't often move as quickly as we want to, often for good reasons, regulatory reimbursement. But there's many technologies that are coming to bear uh, that cross many fields. At Singularity University, we have tracks in, in, in medicine, which I chair, in biotechnology and robotics and artificial intelligence and digital manufacturing, also called 3D printing and, and policy law and ethics and others. And the idea is to get people smart leaders of today and leaders of tomorrow to understand where's technology, where it's likely to be, where's it coming together, and how do we use that trajectory and convergence to, to address grand challenges in the world, from poverty to the environment to the future of education, the future of global health. And, um, it's, and it gets people out of their little silos. They may be a super expert in one area, know a lot about uh, some field, or just exited a company, or investor, or general, or, or a, a CEO and gives them a bit of that lens to what's here now at the cutting edge and experiencing some of the things, whether it's you know, early demos of, of robotics, drones, 3D printing, nanotech, and help apply that to their future, whether it's personal or disrupting an, an industry or disrupting their own company from within or from, from, from outside. And because medicine is, again, often so siloed, what's been exciting is everyone who's come to Singular University has some personal interest in health and medicine, um, is it's brought a lot of new thinking and energy to what's possible in, in particularly in, in healthcare and bio, biomedicine life sciences um, through that lens. So we have a central campus here uh, in Silicon Valley at NASA Ames, which is about 15 minutes from Stanford, one exit from Google. Uh, we're now having international programs around the world. I spun off a program called uh, Exponential Medicine in 2011, recognizing that a lot of the interest in potential in healthcare was coming from different lenses. And if we brought together folks uh, from different fields, technologies, interest areas, that would help catalyze uh, the future, which is, is sort of uh, what it's done. So you obviously have a wide range of interests. You're not afraid of hard work, and you've performed at the very top academic organizations in the country. 
Those experiences might help prepare you, but often progress comes down to having the courage and the will to seize new opportunities and build the relationships that create new possibilities. How did you and Peter Diamandis meet, and how did you begin to build the vision behind what is now Singularity University and Exponential Medicine? Yeah, so Peter and I met when I was at the end of my first year of medical school when I went to his International Space University program. Uh, that summer was held in Toulouse, France, and it was a, a magical summer, again, cross-fertilizing with folks from all sorts of different areas that touched on, on space. Uh, I later reconnected with him maybe 10 years later at the TED conference. And, you know, a thing that I think Peter and I share is having hopefully a uh, optimistic view, view of the future of what technology can achieve. Uh, Peter's well known for, for founding the XPRIZE, which has stimulated the first rockets to go to space that weren't built by NASA. And now XPRIZES, we can talk about later in healthcare, ranging from uh, medical tricorders to genomics to, uh, to cancer. Um, and so I think, you know, what Peter brings with a background as a, as, a, as a physician trained at Harvard and MIT is about what technology can do, this idea of bold and abundant thinking and realizing that today, you know, the world, while it has lots of challenges, is at, in many uh, folks' perspective, it's sort of its best spot in history in terms of its potential, in terms of the lack of actual uh, war and other elements in our potential to move into a more uh, uh, successful future is somewhat based on our mindset and our view of what technology can do. While we need to be mindful of the power of things like artificial intelligence, the, the dark side and potential uh, uh, challenges there as well, that includes things like gene therapy and CRISPR, we also need to be um, smart about optimistic about how we catalyze that future by educating uh, today's leaders uh, to understand its trajectory and how to bring it together in smart, empowering ways to address the grand challenges we have in the world. And the mission of Singularity University in a nutshell is to uh, address these grand challenges by educating, empowering, empowering and enabling uh, today's leaders uh, to, to understand and, and, and use them in smart ways. But just to be clear, this is not a conventional university. You have programs that you run at various times a year for individuals and for organizations. You have a summit. What should listeners dig into when they visit the website? There's a lot there. I was going to say, you know, I can't cover it all here in the, in the podcast, but if you go to the website, which is just su.org, Singular University, su.org, there's a lot of information about a variety of programs. The sort of key one, which many of your readers may want to come and join, is our 10-week summer program called the Global Solutions Program. It's full scholarships by Google or local uh, competitions for 80 participants from around the world where they spend 10 weeks at our NASA headquarters and cross-train in exponential technologies and develop new companies and ideas to impact the future. And a few examples of companies that have spun out of that include uh, Matternet, which uh, back in 2011 was the first company to propose that we could use drones to deliver anything, especially in healthcare, drugs, vaccines, blood products, and have now uh, executed on that to the point where it's now common that you know Amazon will be delivering your, your groceries and widgets by drone. Uh, uh, companies like uh, Made in Space, which developed the first 3D printer, which is now flown on the space station, uh, to think about 3D printing objects in difficult to access places, whether it's medical devices or, or a missing uh, a bolt from your, from, your, from your other devices. So um, a lot of new thinking and companies and energy have come out of it. We also have one-week executive programs where folks can come for five days, six days to our main campus and kind of get their heads rewired. And then a variety of conferences and international programs, as well as an accelerator for startups that have an exponential and global impact mindset to, to come and have a, a seat at, at our, our campus and cross-connect with many of our community and, and, and companies and, and uh, learn and grow and expand from there. Excellent. So I'll include some links to those programs on the show notes. But I'm just trying to get my head around this. 
So part of your roles as the chair of medicine at Singularity University, you're the founder and chair of Exponential Medicine. You're thinking and designing and creating exponential technologies that will transform the world beyond almost anything that most of us can imagine. And then you also spend time in clinics and research labs and experience the day-to-day -day limitations of the technology, the, the tools and techniques that are currently being used. That's a huge dichotomy. What's that experience like for you when you're dedicating so much energy to advances in technology, to achieving singularity, but you still work day to day with this sort of slow, clunky technology and, you know, in the health system? Sure. I mean, there's, that's where you see the opportunity. Uh, uh, yeah, in healthcare, things move more slowly than we might like. We're still using fax machines to communicate often. Uh, the magical electronic medical records are more often billing machines and are very frustrating and actually hinder actual clinical care. We spend more time entering data to, 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 to EMRs than often uh, FaceTime with our, our patients. Um, but you know what is inspiring about mixing the clinical setting and some of these new technologies is there's so many unmet needs, so many pain points, whether it's how to prescribe a smart uh, prescription, maybe using someone's pharmacogenomics or other, or data, how to communicate with the patient when they're not in the clinic or the hospital, which is hopefully 99.99% of the time, uh, to help them uh, take their, their medications, alter their diet, do their physical therapy, stay on top proactively of their, of their health and medicine and other data. Um, at the same time, we recognize that you know there is a smart reason we have a regulatory environment like the FDA or the EMA in Europe that helps regulate drugs, devices, and now apps as well, so that uh, products aren't sort of snake oil or aren't uh, put out in, that aren't safe or effective. And the FDA or the EMA and other equivalents, to their credit, are starting to think about how do you accelerate bringing new solutions to the patient, the clinician, the nurse, the surgeon, the hospital's administrator, the pharma executive. Um, because, you know, we can't wait 10 years and spend a billion plus dollars per drug trial or wait five years to approve a medical app because by that point, the whole application and the platform will have changed. So we need to instigate or instill some of that exponential thinking to, to folks like the FDA. I actually had the opportunity to be there back in October, met with the commissioner and the head of CBER. We, we ran a whole session on future digital health, uh, did a panel, a lot of discussion and thought. And initiatives are actually underway at the FDA, particularly in digital health. Uh, and how do you think about you know software as a drug? How do you uh, speed up um, smart ways of doing clinical trials using real-world evidence, not just pen and paper uh, trials, whether it's for a drug, an app, or a device? How can d devices in your body report back and communicate and be updated through the cloud, just like you can update your Tesla software? How do we crowdsource some of that information, just like our modern cars, like Teslas, talk to each other and update the maps uh, to improve their driving? But that crowd uh, crowdsourcing and sort of herd um, mentality can, can can help healthcare. So lots of challenges, lots of opportunities, and also obviously frustration because things in medicine do take a bit longer. Uh, and I think we can catalyze to speed things up. We've seen companies like Apple, Samsung, Google uh, get into healthcare, and companies like Apple have platforms now like ResearchKit, which are catalyzing very low-cost, cheap, distributed clinical trials. It's just one example that's already out on the market. Let's switch gears a little bit. You mentioned the XPRIZE earlier, and that's another organization that is dedicated to exponential thinking and another organization created by Peter Diamandis. I was actually on a team that competed for one of the XPRIZE competitions. I was working with Endotronics. It's a company that makes an implantable pressure sensor, and they're based up near Chicago. And we competed for the Nokia Challenge back in 2015. And since then, I know that XPRIZE has been creating more health-related challenges and really expanding its reach internationally as well. Can you give us some background on the XPRIZE and explain some of the things that are being done in the organization to move the needle on health and wellness? 
Yeah, the X Prize, in a nutshell, what it, it tries to do, its main mission is to is to really catalyze solutions to difficult problems that aren't going to be addressed uh, as quickly or normally otherwise. And uh, Peter read a book about Charles Lindbergh and realized that. Uh, Charles Lindbergh crossed the Atlantic, not just for kicks, but to actually compete for a prize. Um, and that catalyzed many folks, including Lindbergh and others, to, 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 to attempt that. Um, and using that mindset, the first X Prize was to get uh, a non-NASA <laughs> rocket uh, into space and back. And that uh, was won by um, Virgin, or by, by uh, uh, now what's called Virgin Galactic. And it's opened up commercial space flight. Now we have companies like SpaceX and Blue Origin from from Bezos that are all flying in space essentially already. Um, and the idea is to have a, uh, a target, an audacious but achievable goal, and the first X prize being to get a, a rocket essentially to 100 kilometers. But then having other X prizes, for example, the one I helped catalyze and get going was the, the Medical Tricorder X prize, which was also blended with that Nokia X challenge, which for the um, Medical Tricorder prize was to have a uh, some sort of solution that would be as good or better than a panel of board-certified physicians in diagnostic and diagnosing and triaging common medical issues that con- consumers or individuals might have at home, and so that's a pretty audacious but potentially achievable element that wasn't being done otherwise. You need to catalyze thinking and companies and startups and partners to come together, and uh, we saw that we've seen that with the Tricorder X Prize, which is in its last phase. We're down to the two finalists. There are X prizes that have been completed in oil cleanup from oil spills. And they more than doubled the, the the speed and lowered the cost of cleaning up oil. There have been others related to um, uh, to the environment and 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 oceans and in education. And just this year, I led a team at our Visioneering Summit, which happened in the fall. Uh, nine teams uh, competed to develop a new X Prize models that could be funded and move forward. One was an ALS. Uh, I, I I was the bold innovator for one in cancer, and our X Prize proposal uh, is to create a prize to develop very low cost, uh, globally available uh, cancer screening uh, to help detect cancers at very early stages when you can do something about it, um, and make that potentially as as easy as a uh, let's say urine dipstick for pregnancy, uh, and make that something you could get in twenty four dollars for twenty four dollars under twenty four hours from Tennessee to Tanzania was a bit of our tagline, and that was actually the highest ranked new X Prize proposal. And we're hoping to see in 2018 that we actually launch that and instigate, you know, we don't propose the solution, we propose the target. We're not saying how do you do that. We're going to hopefully frame that challenge and have uh, teams crossing the, the usual suspects to new ones develop very surprising, hopefully, solutions to to cancer screening that can be done uh, in very novel and low-cost ways. So the XPRIZE, again, is a, as a catalyzing body, a lot of information at XPRIZE.org, and a lot of opportunity for folks around the world who are listening to this to, to join a team and help uh, solve grand challenges. That's amazing. I'll include links to the XPRIZE website and some of the competitions and concepts that you mentioned. Now, when we competed, we didn't win the big prize, but we did pick up a distinguished award. And for that, we got a nice medal that each of us could take home. And the company won a nice six-figure sum that uh, that went for further development. And based on my experience, the XPRIZE organization was extraordinarily well run. They were, everyone was very helpful and razor sharp on moving that competition forward. And even if we didn't win anything from that, and some teams didn't, we did move our own solution forward at a pace and in a way that definitely would we would not have done had we not had that competition on the horizon. 
Yeah, the, 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 what happens is it ends up unleashing. If you might have a, a $10 million prize, which was the, the first X prize for the, the space challenge, but over $100 million was spent by teams and companies competing for that. Same thing with the Tricorder and the Nokia Sensing Challenge. Lots of teams have come together, including yours, which have now developed new products, which are moving to market, which may not have happened otherwise. We're now coming to market faster. With our Cancer uh, X Prize, we hope to bring low-cost cancer diagnostics. Even if that becomes a year sooner than it would have with normal market forces, uh, that could save tens of thousands of lives and reduce suffering. So, um, you know, it's not always just the winners that win. I think it's all of society. And and uh, if you go to xprize.org, you'll find a lot of the prizes that have been completed and other ones that you might join. And often it's folks from outside fields that end up coming up with a lot of these new ideas that end up bringing winning projects that Oil Cleanup X Prize. Uh, one of the winners, winning teams, was from folks you know who had no experience in healthcare. One was a tattoo artist uh, that had brought new thinking and lenses. And I think a lot of the future in healthcare and beyond is again collaboration and convergence of different ideas, fields, and technologies to address how can we do something better, smarter, cheaper, and more effectively. Now, you and I attended the CES show earlier this year, and there's no exhibition quite like it. Everything from self-driving cars to drones and robots and wearables and virtual reality, it's, it's fairly easy to get excited about some of those technologies and imagine their power being applied to gaming or transportation or home automation. And when you attend a meeting like that and see some of the power of these technologies, where does your thought process go? How do you see those technologies being applied in healthcare? A few examples. Um, medical education. My friend Dr. Shafi Ahmad, who's a surgeon in London near you, has a group called Medical Realities. I was in the OR there seven months ago when they did the first live streamed VR surgery. They had about 5,000 people watching a surgery real time through their Google Cardboards and a smartphone while they did the surgery. So you could democratize education. You could record surgeries or pre-op uh, instructions for a patient or post-op care elements. You can enable a, a patient to understand their anatomy or disease by flying inside their body and seeing their heart valve if that has an issue, for example. Um, we're seeing VR being used already in medical education or, or augmented reality. HoloLens has already launched uh, a platform for anatomy being piloted at Case Western for, with medical students, so replacing the cadaver lab. Uh, and these are things that are here today. For therapy, we're seeing virtual reality being used uh, to put a patient in a very cold environment where they can interact and throw snowballs. And while they're getting therapy for, for painful procedures like a burn injury, they're using far less uh, uh, pain meds, opiates, than, than would otherwise or for treating folks with phobias or PTSD. So lots of opportunities with VR and augmented reality as we've seen getting cheaper and becoming more and more consumerized. And I think we're going to be very surprised about some of the applications being built on top of those with everything from helping a surgeon in the operating room, as has been done with things like Google Glass, uh, to to patients, to, to nurses and paramedics, to, to patients, to one example, uh, Kids with uh, autism often have, have trouble recognizing emotions uh, from facial expressions. There's a company called Brain Power uh, that uses Google Glass to help a, a child recognize facial expressions and kind of gamifies that and improves their ability to, to interact and, and read faces and have emotional intelligence when they're not wearing the, the Google Glass. So lots of things coming in that space. So the future is already, I like to say, you know, Future is already here uh, in many ways. It's coming faster than you think. And there's that famous quote, um, uh, you know, the future is already here, just not evenly distributed. So I encourage the listeners out there to start, you know, be an early adopter. Try some of these sometimes game and toy technologies and think about how you might use those in the clinical setting uh, or other elements that might touch uh, health and medicine. 
If you had to focus in on one area of health innovation, what has you most excited for the future of medicine? Ooh, uh, great question. I think you know a lot of things are exciting today on, on the cusp of really uh, transforming the world. I mean, you know, CRISPR therapy, the idea that you can edit genes uh, now almost you know with a high school student can essentially swap out genes in a bacterial cell or or even human cells is incredibly powerful. The technology is only four or five years old and is set to, to disrupt and change everything in synthetic biology and biopharma. Uh, I think that's a tremendously interesting area. And the ability now to obviously read and write DNA that blend in with that, uh, both for understanding our, our omics. Uh, so one of the exciting areas, I think, is you know if you're a patient, a doctor, whatever, part of our, our standard practice is to look at the data. That might be your basic temperature, vital signs, basic chemistries. But now that's exploded. We can have your, not just your 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 20 chemistries from your blood, but uh, a thousand biomarkers and proteome. We can have your existing genome. We can look at your metabolomics and your microbiome. And the, what I think is most exciting and where the, a lot of potential is to pull that data together so we can really synthesize that and use that to move from our intermittent and reactive sick care system to a more continuous and proactive true healthcare element where I can use that data, both myself and own my information, but in partnership with my clinical team or as a physician or clinician, use that information in smart ways to really personalize that individual patient's uh, prevention and wellness, uh, do smarter earlier diagnostics, do more tuned, precise, and less toxic therapies, and even use those to catalyze smarter clinical trials and learning at the same time. So and that didn't answer your question with one exact thing. I think, again, it's the blend of these, pulling them together in, in actionable ways. Often we don't know what to do with this big data. We need to sort of sift through it and find what those needles and haystacks are and be able to present that at the point of care in the workflow of, let's say, the doctor. No doctor wants to be overwhelmed with all your app data and your sleep information and your EKG. It needs to be synthesized and, and, and digested and presented in, in useful ways that continue to improve and, again, move to a world of, of intelligence-based medicine, not just evidence-based. I recently attended a gynecologic oncology meeting in Lisbon, and I met Dr. Karen Liu of MD Anderson, and she introduced me to a new term. She spoke about some of the work they're doing on breast cancer, and they're identifying BRCA mutation carriers that have no previous cancer history and offering them prophylactic surgery to reduce their risk of developing breast cancer. And She referred to those individuals who'd had the intervention before they ever developed any disease as previvors. In what other areas do you think we'll see this sort of pre-viver treatment coming into practice? Right. I like to call that stage zero medicine. Like as an oncologist, I'm a cancer doctor. We most often see patients come to us at stage three or stage four where it's often too late or very expensive or difficult to, to cure. And this idea of a pre-viver, I love that term. Uh, you know, we're already seeing some elements of that. Obviously, the famous Angelina Jolie case where she had the BRCA1 genes giving her high risk of a variant of breast cancer, she decided to take the extreme view and and do some preventative surgery. So you can see that, uh, you know, maybe on one end. Um, but hopefully, not just with cancer, but with other diseases. Let's take Alzheimer's, a huge issue with our aging populations. There's now technologies that you can do from eye tracking and video games, blood-based diagnostics, brain scans that can predict who's likely to get a dementia like Alzheimer's 10 or 15 years later. Then maybe you could potentially not wait for the disease to occur. And there's not many good therapies once Alzheimer's is sort of there, but to to, to sort of prevent it, that be a previver. Basically, some of the drugs that are in trials today that can stop and reverse plaques, you might give to folks when they're still at stage zero. Just like we give 
statins to folks who have high cholesterol and high risk of cardiovascular disease. So uh, again, leveraging all this new exciting omics and other information uh, blended with AI, blended with um, hopefully crowdsourcing and sharing information around the planet can give us to a point where we'll identify folks again before they get disease and can and when you can do something about it. Fascinating and exciting times. Are you glad that you chose to practice medicine at this point in history? I think it's the most exciting time, not just in in medicine uh, and healthcare, but I, I'm, I'm fortunate to, you know, uh, help to play a role in that at Singular University at, at Exponential Medicine, where each year we bring together a pretty amazing cohort of folks from around the world to, to think about where is technology now, where it's heading, and how do we solve these challenges. And, you know, at your home base in the United Kingdom, we've had several uh, physicians and NHS leaders come and join us. And from that, that's catalyzed whole new initiatives and, and, and platforms, which are uh, hopefully going to democratize healthcare and bring us better, lower lower cost and more effective uh, prevention, diagnostics, and therapy. So I think it's a really exciting time. It's an exciting time for other people who are not physicians, pharma, biotech folks to, to get involved and bring their mindsets and skill sets and experience and vision to help catalyze some of these new, uh, new solutions. You know, we both have two young children and yours are a little bit younger than mine. I get really excited about how these technologies and treatments are going to impact my own children and the generations to come. So thank you for your work and your leadership in driving that exponential thinking that's really making a difference. Daniel, there are six questions I'd like to ask all our guests. Can we dive into them now? Sure. What is a saying that motivates you? Well, one that I, I, I close a lot of my talks with, which has been ascribed to everyone from Abraham Lincoln to others, which is you know, our opportunity is not to just imagine the future, but to go out there and create it. So when you think about the future, don't just sort of wonder what it's going to be like, but take initiative and, and create that future for yourself or for others. So uh, the best way to, to, to predict the future is to create it. What advice do you have for others working to innovate in healthcare? The advice I would have is get out of your silos, uh, experience, play, mix it up with others that you don't think might have any relevance to you, whether that's folks in machine learning or AI or drones or video games or sensors. Uh, get your own genomics done. Uh, look at your own data. Become your own data donor. Uh, try, be an early adopter. Uh, if you're a physician, think about how you can use some of these existing tools, whether it's a connected blood pressure cuff or scale, etc., to help your patients with diabetes or heart disease. If you're a patient, um, bring some of those tools to your home and to your clinician and help catalyze their thinking. Um, so again, part of creating the future is, is starting to work with what's here today. What book do you recommend to our listeners and why? A good book, I think, uh, comes from one of comes from the founding executive director of Singularity University, Salim Ismail, has a great book called Exponential Organizations. Exponentialorganizations.org uh, has the book and on Amazon. And it's how do you think about in your own organizations in life using some of these tools and mindsets to to do things in smarter you know ways, not in the 1990s mindset, but the the 2020s mindset. Uh, whether it's tools like Slack or crowdsourcing or crowdfunding. A lot of these things are here today, and you can't run your life or your business like we did in the past. What technology would you not want to live without? Uh, I might be a bit addicted to things like Twitter. I think uh, I could probably live without it, but it does open up the ability to share information with thousands of people, but also to glean new information in a much faster form than you might otherwise. So I think there's a, a real power to social media to learn and to share and to collaborate and uh, to help catalyze new thinking. If I gave you $5 million today to invest in healthcare, where would you invest it? I think it would be in this blend of, of artificial intelligence meets healthcare, uh, in that there's so much explosive data today, but it's not yet information. And the ability to blend that from 
having a genome of your patient on a disk drive or in the cloud and making that actually useful at the point of care, um, matching the education, culture, language of not just the clinician, but the patient and their families is a huge opportunity space. Um, and uh, it, sometimes we don't need new data, but we need new ways to make sense of it and use it. And lastly, in appreciation of your time here on the show, we're going to make a donation to a charity of your choice. What charity have you selected? And can you tell us a little bit about what they do? I'll go with the American Cancer Society. I'm, I'm an oncologist. I think there's a lot of opportunity to, to move the needle in many cancers. I was lucky to be part of the uh, the Cancer Moonshot Summit with uh, Vice President Biden. And a lot of the new thinking is coming from traditional organizations like the American Cancer Society, but leadership from the White House, at least the one we have as the date of this recording, um, all the way to uh, opening up silos and, and new mindsets and getting patients and others to participate, to speed up and do smarter clinical trials. So that's one organization I think is, is helping in that regard. What's the best way for listeners to get in touch with you and to follow your progress? So one way is simply follow me on Twitter. I'm at Daniel underscore Kraft, uh, K-R-A-F-T. Um, I'd encourage folks to visit uh, exponentialmedicine.com, which is the website for our annual Exponential Medicine Conference. And on there, you'll find uh, probably 100 plus great talks from technology and medical leaders uh, sharing their their cutting edge uh, technology of today and what's coming in the future from AI, robotics, 3D printing, nanotech, etc. Um, that's at exponentialmedicine.com. And we also have a newsletter there. And every week or so, I'll put out a newsletter which synthesizes some of the top stories of, of technologies impacting health and medicine. So exponentialmedicine.com, follow me at underscore Dan, Daniel underscore craft and check out Singularity University at su.org. Great. Thank you, Daniel. And do you have any last thoughts you want to leave with the audience before we say goodbye? I'd encourage everyone to, to have bold and optimistic thinking to uh, take the challenges they have in their personal professionals and, and healthcare worlds and and think about where technology can help solve that, not with just the technology of today in 2017, but where that might be in 2020, uh, where it's going to converge and, and start building those solutions today. Don't don't wait. Uh, don't wait for the future. Start start building it and uh, innovating now. And that's it. That's episode 20 with Dr. Daniel Kraft. I really enjoyed recording that episode with him. He has such a tremendous perspective and a phenomenal way to articulate where things are going and to get you to think beyond what you imagine is possible. I really encourage you to get out to one of the courses that he runs at Singularity University. If the 10-week course is too long, then check out the, one of the six-day executive courses. You can also attend his Exponential Medicine Conference November 6th to the 9th in San Diego this year. But what you could do right now is go to the website, digitalhealthtoday.com 20, and check out the videos, the links, the other resources from this conversation. Be sure to subscribe because we have more great guests coming up with Arshiva Habzadeh of Harvard talking about mental health, Chaitanya Dahagam from Watson Health talking about augmented intelligence, and many others. Subscribe on the website and subscribe on your podcast app so you don't miss a thing. That's all for now. Thanks for tuning in. And until next time, keep on innovating. This episode is brought to you in part by the World Precision Medicine Congress. If you're interested in the future of medicine, health technology, and next-generation medicines, then check out the World Precision Medicine Congress being held in London this May. At this three-day event, there will be leaders and innovators sharing information about precision medicine, wearables, artificial intelligence, bioelectronic medicine, big data, and even organ regeneration. I'll be heading there myself this year to meet and chat with some of the speakers, you can get 10% off if you register with the code DIGIHEALTH. That's all one word, D-I-G-I, health. This event is taking place on the 17th to the 19th of May this year, 2017. Check it out. It's the World Precision Medicine Congress in London. Google it or find it on our events page at digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash events.
This episode is brought to you by Health Tech X Global. Join key stakeholders from around the world at this year's Health Tech X Europe event taking place in London on the 20th of June, 2017. It's a packed day of insights from thought leaders working at the cutting edge of health tech and digital health. Health Tech X Europe will explore the current trends and challenges facing global healthcare. See the latest innovations being used to create high impact solutions and better outcomes for patients, practitioners, farmers, and payers. Join us on June 20th this year, 2017. Tickets are available now on healthtechxeurope.com. That's healthtech, the letter X, europe.com. You can also register there to join the global community and to receive promotions and discounts for Health Tech X events. And hey, if you're an innovator and want your business to be considered for a spot at Health Tech X Europe, visit the website to register your company. The top 20 Health Tech startups will receive a special invitation to participate. 